we are all on a journey. The trouble is, sometimes we just don't actually know where we're going. We get turned around and off track like we're stumbling in the dark. What we all need is a light. We need a God to follow closely and to show us the way. Our light, our God, our teacher is Jesus. We need to follow him. Is Jesus walking around with us? How can he guide us? How can he show us the way? See, following Jesus doesn't have to be that complicated. Jesus can show us the way because Jesus is the way. Good morning, everyone. Man, it's so good to see you here. For those of you in the venue, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Five weeks from today, we're all going to be back together. We're going to move across that hallway. We're going to be in the main auditorium. Only four more Sundays in this format. So for those of you who are in the venue, thank you for being on mission with us. And I sat in one of those chairs you're sitting in last week. Oh my gosh, we'll pay for one person to have, uh, everyone to have one chiropractor appointment because the new chairs are so hard, but we're praying you'll break them in for the rest of us so that when we move into the building, um, we are ready. Uh, listen, before we move into the building on December 19th, we want to celebrate as a church. So go ahead and mark your calendars. Wednesday night, December 15th, we're having our official building dedication at 7 p.m. One of my best friends in ministry, Pastor Daniel Floyd from LifePoint Church in Fred Fredericksburg, Virginia is going to be with us. He's going to be preaching and helping us dedicate that, our building that night. And that's going to be a service for our entire church family to come together to celebrate all that God has done before we open to have services for the community. So please mark your calendar. We'll open the doors at 6.30 to begin seating. Once it fills up, we'll have overflow probably in this room, some overflow in the atrium if we need it. This is not for friends and neighbors. This is just for our church to say thank you, God, for what you did, for what you've given us, and just a chance for us to spend some time celebrating together, praying together, dreaming together about all the ministry that God wants to do in that building. So mark your calendars. Join us on the 15th. I think it'll be the greatest thing we do in 2021. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to hang out in our Bible study time. Open up your Bibles, kind of grab your bulletin, take those notes out so that you can follow along today. We're in week six of a series called Jesus People. And here's the point of this series. We're trying to come to the full realization of what it means to be followers of Jesus who live on mission for Jesus. So we've been drawn to his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We believe in his power. We've seen that we can place our faith in him in Matthew chapter 8. And in Matthew chapter 9, we've started following Jesus around, and it's changing how we see things. We're beginning to realize who Jesus is. We're beginning to realize who we are. We're beginning to realize the world around us and how much they need Jesus. We're saying in this series that as we just walk with Jesus, we're going to come to nine spiritual realizations in Matthew 9, 10, and 11 that reshape how we see everything in life. And we've been stuck on realization number four for a little bit, that it takes all of us to accomplish the mission of Jesus. It takes every one of us to accomplish his mission. We got here three weeks ago. And now we're living in four verses in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, and a little kind of mini series, a little mini emphasis called All In. And we are asking all of our church to be all in on the mission of Jesus. Somebody say all of us. Somebody say all in. That's the goal. That all of us would be all in so that God could do through our church what he has planned in this community. Somebody say fat sheep. 
So that's what we talked about last week. Just in case you didn't hear me right, because some of you, instead of saying fat sheep, you said, what did he say? Everybody say fat sheep. We're saying, we're hoping at our church, God has given us some fat, strong sheep that eat well of the word of God and drink well from the living water of Jesus. But we want to make sure that fat sheep are aware of those who need to eat. So we said last week, God is looking for sheep who will also be shepherds. God is looking for sheep who will care about other sheep. So we are in this process trying to learn how to be sheep that care for one another, that care for each other spiritually. And today we want to learn to tell the town. Say, tell the town. Our critical role in the harvest of what God is doing in our community is to tell the town. If we can figure out how to do that today, it'll be a successful day of ministry. So before we ever dig into the word, we always ask God to kind of get our hearts ready. So those of you in the venue, those of you in here, let's pray together before we jump into God's word today. (sighs) Take that deep breath, kind of settle your heart and your mind in this moment and pray two things. If there's anything on your heart that would keep you from hearing from God, ask him to remove it and then ask him to speak to you. God, the clutter and the chaos of our world sometimes make it hard to hear from you. So God, remove that. Whatever we're going through, just remove it in these moments and speak to our hearts. We'll be listening. Thank you, God, for showing us last week how you feel when you see the world move to compassion. Today, teach us what you see so that we can see our world like you do and play our part in your harvest. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, again, say this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, that's in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So this portion of scripture marks a shift in the book of Matthew because the disciples are going from sheep to shepherd. And it starts with just this summary of Jesus' ministry. We said when Jesus like shows up to do ministry, he comes doing four things, teaching, preaching, healing, and helping. You say, how do you know if a church in Kansas City is doing the work of Jesus? Well, they've got to be teaching God's word. They've got to be preaching to the lost. They've got to be providing spiritual healing and care for those who might be broken, and they need to be helping people who need help. This is what Jesus' people do. So Matthew says that when Jesus rolled into a town, here's what he did. But we also said we're in a really unique season at at Journey because we believe God is doing something in our church as we build our building that kind of allows our season to parallel Matthew 9, 35 through 38. We're like, we really believe Jesus is getting ready to come to our town, like Journey Town. We believe God's getting ready to show up and do something in 2022 at our church. We know that crowds are still drawn to Jesus because the crowds still need Jesus. We know that those crowds need shepherds. So last week we asked those of you who might be strong sheep to help with weak sheep. And we also know that the harvest needs workers. So we've been kind of focusing on this template. This is our all-in template. We started two weeks ago with number four, the Savior needs workers. Uh, Matthew says that Jesus showed up in every town in Galilee. The Jewish historian Josephus said 200 towns in Galilee during the time of Jesus, the smallest that had 15,000 people in it. So it's possible Jesus was doing ministry to 3 million people with 12 helpers. So he told his disciples, we're going to get some help. There's a lot more of them than us. We're going to have to get some help. Now, that should actually bode well for us in Kansas City because there's less than 3 million people in Kansas City 
And I think there are more than 12 followers of Jesus. But that would beg us to ask this question, why isn't the church having more impact? If 12 could turn the world upside down in a world of 3 million, how come the tens of thousands of followers of Jesus in Kansas City maybe aren't doing more teaching, preaching, healing, and helping? Maybe all of us need to be more all in so that God could use us in an incredible way. So Jesus gave this statement that like, we're going to have to get more help. Last week, we looked at the crowd and their need of shepherds. And we said Jesus had compassion that moved him to help us so that we would have compassion that moves us to help others. We said Jesus did not help us because we help ourselves. Jesus helped us because we were helpless, but he helped us so that we could help others who are helpless. And today we're going to see that the crowds, number two, are still drawn to Jesus and that the crowds still desperately need Jesus. We're going to live in verse 37 today, and we're going to focus on two things. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We're going to focus on the harvest and our work in that. Grew up in a little town called Bainbridge, Ohio, that was an hour east of Cincinnati, an hour south of Columbus. If you know the state of Ohio, you could kind of in your head see that picture in southern Ohio, the hills of southern Ohio. I grew up in a town of about 900 people, and from the front door of my house to the front door of my school was three miles And almost all of it on the north side of the road, Route 50, which is the same Route 50 that runs through Lee Summit, was cornfields. I mean, thousands and thousands of acres of cornfields that I would drive by as I drove to school every day. And you would watch the farmers in those cornfields in February, March, start getting them ready, start tilling up the ground. And then you'd watch them kind of seed those. And then the farmers would go away and God would do his thing. And the sun would come and the rain would come and the sun would come and the rain would come and eventually that corn would grow and you knew the corn was good when it was like higher than your car when you were driving along and then eventually the the farmers would show up again and they would harvest it. I learned then that the goal of people is planting and harvesting and the goal of God is to do everything in between. And as a church the last 10 years, we've been planting seeds of who Jesus is in our community and God's been doing some stuff. And I think we are getting ready to move into a season now where it's time to harvest some of what God is doing. God brings the growth. The harvest always needs workers. Somebody say harvest. Somebody say workers. That's what we're going to talk about today, the harvest and the workers. Number one, we're going to start with the harvest. And I want to make a distinction that both Jesus and Matthew make that I think is very important to help us understand what God is doing right now in our city. I want to distinguish between the crowds and the harvest. Because it says that Jesus saw the crowds, but he spoke about the harvest. He saw the crowds, he spoke about the harvest. And these are not the same things when you really get into the nuance of the scripture. It says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. The crowd, you could say this, when Jesus looks across at the world, when Jesus looked at everyone in the town, when Jesus looks at humanity, the crowd, he, he has compassion on them because they're harassed and they're helpless. We said last week when we look at our city, according to the latest Barna research, this is our city, 71% stressed, 62% anxious, 53% burned out, 47% lonely, 46% depressed. Jesus looked across the city and he saw their hearts. This is the heart of our city. This is where our city is right now emotionally and spiritually and mentally. Our city's living during a difficult time. But Jesus didn't look at the crowds and say, the crowds are plentiful. He looked at the crowds and said, those are hurting people. We have to help them. But then he spoke to the harvest in verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The crowd is hurting, 
the harvest is plentiful. You say, is there like, is there a difference? Like, are we just splitting hairs or is there, a, is there a nuance in what's happening here in scripture? And there is a little bit of a theological nuance of what Matthew is doing because the word harvest in the Greek language is the word therosmos. It's used 13 times in the New Testament. Jesus says it 12. An angel in the book of Revelation says it once. And every time it's used, it's used to referring of the gathering of people into heaven or hell. The harvest biblically is always this in times realization that eventually the world will be gathered into two groups, people who know and follow and trust Jesus and those who have rejected Jesus. Like this is all over scripture. 48 times the English word harvest is used in the Old Testament, a different Hebrew word. And every one of those times points to the end of all creation when God finally gathers people together, those who want to be with him and those who have rejected him. That is the macro sense of harvest. It is the end times gathering where the whole world, everyone who's ever lived, divides into one of two crowds, those who follow God and have accepted Jesus and those who have rejected him. But Jesus is not, in Matthew 9, talking about the harvest in that macro sense. He's not saying one day in the future, we need to do something. As a matter of fact, Jesus is talking about a much more real time harvest. The harvest of Matthew 9, 37 and 38 was a here and now reality and opportunity. It's, it's real now. It's an opportunity now for the disciples. And it was a here and now need for his mission. The harvest is here. The harvest is now. I need you to do something now to help these people. This harvest was unique, it was specific, it was nuanced. I think maybe one of the best pictures of the harvest that we see for this word in this time is in John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and flip to John chapter 4. If you don't, it's okay, it'll be on the screen and you can follow along as I read it. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at a well that maybe you know if you've grown up in church as the woman at the well or maybe you know her as the Samaritan woman. This was a woman in verses 1 through 27 whose story we learn, and her, her story was some of your stories. It was a difficult story. She'd been married five times. She was now living with someone who wasn't her husband. She had been, a socially, she'd been socially outcasted from her town. She had experienced racism from the Jewish people in the country that she lived in as a Samaritan woman. She had a little bit of religious background. She had a lot of religious confusion, but she was hungry spiritually. She needed help spiritually, and she met Jesus. She put her trust in Jesus, and then she goes to tell the town, you got to meet this guy. And Jesus on this day through this situation speaks of the harvest again, and it is this, once again, this nuanced here and now harvest. If you have your Bible in John chapter 4, I'll start in verse 28, read through 35. It says, in leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, you need to eat something. But he said to them, I've, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, did, like, did someone bring him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest now. This is a real time right now harvest in Matthew chapter 8. And it's a real time right now harvest in John chapter 4. Here's what you need to understand about the harvest of Matthew chapter 9 and the harvest of John chapter 4. It were very specifically those in the crowd who were looking for the Messiah. This was not all people on the face of the earth. This was not the crowds. 
This was those in the crowds who were being called to Jesus. We see this very specifically in John chapter 4 because an invitation was given for those who were interested in maybe meeting the Messiah. The woman went back into town and said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could he be the Christ? That's the Greek word for Messiah. The Hebrew word would be Mashiach or Messiah as we say it in English. Then they went out of the town and were coming to him. She went into the town and said, I may have met the Messiah. Anyone interested in that? Come meet this guy. And those who were being drawn to the Messiah went out and Jesus looked at them. Those from the crowd who were being drawn to him and said, man, the harvest is here now. The harvest is here now, and I need some people to work in it. Here's what I believe about our city in this season. I believe the crowds are still being drawn to Jesus, and I believe it's because the crowds still need Jesus. Amen? Say, Christian, why do you believe that the crowds are still being drawn to Jesus? Because they told us. They told us. Like, remember our survey? 71% stressed, 62% anxious, 53% burned out, 47% lonely, 46% depressed, 6 out of 10 who say, I think the church could help me. We know the crowd still needs Jesus. 6 out of 10 said, I think Jesus could help me. See, the crowds are still being drawn to Jesus and the crowds still need Jesus. And you say, how do you know? Because they told us. People in our community are still being drawn to Jesus. And he's saying, look up and see those people who need me because some of them are trying to find me and kind of help them connect the dots. I believe that when we open our building, just like it happened last time, that those in our community who are already being drawn to Jesus, this 60% is saying as they drive by our church, Maybe they can help with some of the things that I'm dealing with. I think God's just going to draw them. You say, I just think he's going to draw them. On July 10th of 2001, Danielle and I were celebrating our second anniversary. She was 37 weeks pregnant. And when Danielle got pregnant, she got pregnant. I'll just say it that way. Like she got, she got, preg- she got pregnant, really pregnant. Um, she was really pregnant, 37 weeks pregnant with our son. That's all I'm going to say, really pregnant. Um, <laughs> We went for our second anniversary to Skies. Remember the rotating restaurant that used to be on top of the Hyatt? So we ate at Skies. And while we're up there eating, July 10th, 2001, there's like all these helicopters flying over town. Like you could tell something was happening. News helicopters. Not like, uh, you know, like, like an accident had happened, but they were covering something. We're like, man, what, what is going on in Kansas City? The blimp is here. There's these news, news helicopters. I think it was even during all-star breaks. It was like, we know the Royals aren't playing, the Chiefs aren't playing. Like, what's going on? And it caught our attention. 2001, three years before the Facebook, um, five years before the iPhone. So, like, we couldn't just pick up a phone and, like, say, hey, what's going on in Kansas City? So it captured our attention. And as we're driving home back through the Grandview Triangle, there was a sign that said concert traffic this way. And we're like, hey, there's a con- like, there must be a big concert in town. Lots of traffic, lots of... We had nothing to do. That would be one of the last days that we did not have children and they took over our life. So it's like, we don't have to go home for the sitter. We don't have to do anything that, any, that we don't want to do. So like, let's go see who's in concert. So we start driving towards Arrowhead, turn on the radio. It's like, who, who's here? They have to be a big deal. And we found out NSYNC was playing at Arrowhead <laughs> Stadium in 2001. I said, we should drive in the parking lot and just see the craziness of the crowd. Nearly 100,000 people at the concert. As we get off the lot and start pulling in the parking lot, guy runs up to our windows and he's like, I got two tickets for 50 bucks. And Daniel's like trying to roll up the window. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like 50 bucks? He's like, all right, get them. And Daniel's like, they're probably fake. And it's like, 
it's worth the risk. We get the tickets. They're real. Um, we're walking into the stadium. We see a student from our youth group, and they're like, hey, I, you know, you, I didn't know you guys would be at the concert. It's like, where are your tickets? And we looked, and we're like, they're right on the stage. Um, it's probably not good for someone who's really pregnant. So it's like, <laughs> she's like, would you trade me? Hers were kind of club level, and we got to sit for the entire concert. It's like, yeah. So we ended up three weeks before our son was born sitting at this entire NSYNC concert. <laughs> they started out telling us that we were all they ever wanted. Um, <laughs> They wanted us back. And then they ended. Of course, you can imagine the closing song of Insing's concert would have to be, yeah, bye, bye, bye. Yeah, just, just like that. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say, say, how do you remember that? I Googled it. I, like, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know their songs then. I don't know their songs now. But I Googled the set list last night. I was like, what did they sing? Like, you say, how did you end up sitting at the Insync concert? We just kind of followed what was going on. People are going to end up sitting in their church, in our church, because God's drawing them. And they're just going to kind of like just follow what God is doing in their spirit. And they're going to end up in our seats. The harvest is coming. And the harvest is here. And one day there's going to be a great end times harvest. But we have to believe. We must believe that God is going to send his people. And we must be ready to receive them. Jesus is drawing them. And we get to help in the harvest. You say, what is our part of the harvest? We get to be workers. We get to be workers. He said, what work do we do? He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Here's a good question theologically to ask. If Jesus draws them and if Jesus saves them, what do we do? Um, okay, I get what we plant and we harvest like when it's done. But like if Jesus draws them and Jesus saves them, like what is our, what's our part of the process? Before I answer that question, let me introduce you to my main man. This is Rudy. He's my little pup. He's 12. He's sick right now. Uh, he's got a kidney disease. Um, Danielle and I tomorrow will drive up to the Iowa State Animal Hospital because they're one of the only hospitals in the Midwest that can maybe help him. He, like, he might be on his last legs. and like He's my best friend in the world. So you can pray for us tomorrow as we head up to the animal hospital. But knowing that it could be his last year, we decided to put him in the Christmas card this year. Say, so, Christian, you sad about that a little bit, but I know when Rudy's time here is done that he'll go to heaven. You say, why is that? Because he's a dog. Um, and dogs, <laughs> dogs go to heaven. Cats, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Cats have owners that don't like this joke at all. And I can tell that by the way they look at me when I even set it up. Because you look like a cat as anyone walks in the room and ever distracts you. Which makes me wonder, do owners look like their cats? Or do cats look like their owners? Like that is, that is, just got to wonder cat people. By the way, I'm just kidding. My mom always watches the 930 service with her cat. Mom, I'm kidding. I love cats. They may go to heaven. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. So well, why, why else do you think Rudy's going to heaven? Um, another reason that's not real. When my son was eight, my son Christian and my daughter Casey was six, my kids grew up around our student ministry and we were always telling kids about Jesus and having kids give their lives to Christ. So my kids grew up around watching people give their lives to Jesus. It was, it was a big deal in our household. And we'd had a youth event where a lot of kids had given their hearts to Christ that my kids had been at. We were at home a few nights later, Danielle and I sitting in our living room, Christian Casey in her room with Rudy. 
Um, and they come bursting out of her room. I mean, like axe to wind and fire, like bursting out of the room. And they're racing downstairs and they're so excited. Christian's excited and Casey's excited and Rudy's excited. And I'm like, guys, what is going on? And they're like, we just invited Jesus into Rudy's heart. We just invited Jesus into Rudy's heart. We just invited Jesus into Rudy's heart. And, and Christian was excited, Casey was excited. And Rudy was jumping up and down. He was wagging his tail. He wasn't speaking in tongues, but he was hanging out of his mouth. So it's like, <laughs> hallelujah. Like something's going on here. Um, they're like, we just, now you and I both know we can't invite Jesus into somebody else's heart. If we could, we, all, we would have already done that for everyone in Congress. Like, we would have like, Jesus, take the wheel and the White House and the Congress and the Senate and the Supreme... Like, like, we, like, if we could do that, we would have already done that for, like, as many people as we possibly have. People, people got to invite, invite Jesus to be their Lord on their own. They got to respond to a call. See, so say, if Jesus is drawing people and if Jesus is saving people... What do we do? Great question. And I think we find some really good answers in John chapter four. Five things that I think Jesus people have to do in the work of the harvest. Number one, we have to discern all brokenness is spiritual brokenness. And we have to believe Jesus is the answer. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. He's the answer. He's the answer to everything. This gal in John four had some issues. She had some marriage issues. She had some friendship issues. She had some employment issues. She had walked through some racism issues. She had some very well thought out religious objections. But at the end of all of it, she was someone who was broken in need of a savior. Like those were all symptoms of what was wrong with her, not really what was wrong with her. She needed Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus Jesus people see the world very clearly. We believe our world is broken by sin and saved by Jesus, period. The problem is sin, the Savior is Jesus, period. The problem is not COVID and the answer is not Fauci. The problem is not mask and the answer is not personal freedom. The problem is not Democrats and the answer is Trump. The problem is not Trump and the answer is not anyone else. The problem is not just racism and the answer critical race theory. Those are all symptoms of sin that need to be addressed but they are not the problem. The problem is sin and the answer is Jesus. Amen? Amen. And listen, when something other than sin is the problem, something other than Jesus is the answer. And that's what the world wants us to believe. That this is broken, but it's broken because of X and we can fix it with Y. No, we are broken because of sin and we can fix it with Jesus. And that is the only way. That's what Jesus people believe. So Jesus talked to this woman at the well. He listened to everything that she had going on in her life. And he got to the end of it and said, I think I can help you in all of those areas. I am the savior that you have been waiting for. We can, number two, then invite people to come and see Jesus. I love John 4, 29, because it says that the woman went and told the town, you got to come and see this guy. Everybody say, come and see. Three pretty powerful words. You guys could have come and see this. She didn't say come and believe. She didn't say come and receive. She didn't say come and follow. She said, you got to come see this guy. You got to come see this guy who told me that he could help me. What's interesting about her story is she was a we before she met Jesus and she was a we after she met Jesus. She said, what do you mean by that? A lot of her problems were cultural problems that all the people in her village had. And she said, if he can help me through all of my mess, it seems like we've all got similar messes. Maybe he can help you too. 
She saw Jesus not just as the answer to her problems, but similar problems in other people's life. And she said, you, you've got you to come and see this guy. In John 1.39, Jesus' disciples approaching for the first time after John the Baptist says, you need to follow him, not me. And they said, hey, where are you going? What will life be like following you? And Jesus says three words, come and see. Just come and see. Come and check out who I say that I am, what I say I'm going to do. Come and check out what life with me looks like. If we could become a church that invites people who need Jesus just to come and see what life with Jesus looks like, those that he's drawing for the harvest, will see him and meet him and have their lives changed. Number three, we can bring people to Jesus. I think the most convicting verse of the entire story is John 4.33. Say, why is that? John 4.33 is the time where we find out the disciples went into the exact same village and they brought back food. The woman went into the village and she brought back People, people, you know, sometimes we come to church and we bring Jesus a lot of things and that's good. But like God says several times in the old Testament, like I don't need your offerings. Everything in the world is mine. If I, if I needed it, I just take it. God accepts our praise. He loves our worship, but we need more people like the woman who go and we bring back people. The disciples were like, let's go get lunch. And they ignored all the people many who were being drawn to the Messiah. They could have said, the Messiah is at the well. Who wants to talk to him? They didn't even think about that. The woman didn't think about food. She said, the Messiah is at the well. Who wants to talk to him? So we need to bring people, not just invite them, but physically bring them with us. Number four, we don't just have to look for those who are lost. We just need to look at them. John 4, 35, Jesus said, just look up, look up. There they are. Look up, there they are. He said, Christian, how do I know who in my life needs Jesus? Guess who in your life needs Jesus? All of them. Yeah, like everyone. Jesus said, the problem is not trying to figure out where the lost people are. Just look up. They're right there. Everyone you've ever seen with your eyes needs Jesus. And then number five, we have to believe that Jesus is getting ready to move now. That's what he told his disciples. He's like, this is happening right here, right now. 61 times in scripture, the harvest is referred to this end times collection of people and to those who follow God and those who don't. Jesus said, for us, it's happening right now. Get ready. Jesus would tell his disciples, these people are ripe. It's time now. We had a school teacher who was in our 8 a.m. service who had lunch with about a dozen of her colleagues last week when they were kind of off school. And they'd been driving up and down this road. And she said, one of them literally at lunch said, Tell us the story of what's going on at your church that you're building, what you're building. Like that is the easiest way in the world to invite people to be a part of what God is doing. They're asking, tell me more. We live in a community, I believe, that because of what we've been through the last 18 months is ripe for a savior. And I believe God's already directed their attention towards who we are and what we're building. Those that Jesus is drawing are ripe. They're ready for Jesus and his people. You say, how do you know? They told us, remember? Stressed, anxious, burned out, lonely, depressed. I think the church can help us. Say, how do you know that these people in my life think the church can help us? They told us, six out of 10. So ask 10 people, four might say no, six might say yes. They told us we are already trying to figure out how Jesus can help us. So we've said in 2022, the theme of our church is gonna be come and see. 
And we're going to try to figure out how to help stressed, anxious, burned out, lonely, depressed people come and see Jesus by talking about the things that maybe are going on in their life and how Jesus is the answer. We're going to have almost every month what we call a best day ever Sunday where we invite people to know who Jesus is. The first one of those will be on January 30th, a family of four who has a ministry called Hope Out Loud. 16 years ago, they were on their way home from church on a Sunday night when they got hit by a drunk driver running from cops with his lights off in a suburban going 80 miles per hour who literally drove over top of their minivan. He literally ran right over them. The family were all, uh, life flighted all of them to four different hospitals. None of them should survive. They, they all did. Their 16-year-old daughter with a traumatic brain injury that has kind of trapped her in a childlike adolescence of her faith but she can still walk and talk and tell people about Jesus. And when I talked to Andy, the dad who was driving the minivan that night, I said, Andy, just tell me a little bit about your ministry. And he said, Christian, we got run over and we should have been dead. And when I realized that we weren't, and I started asking God, what was the purpose of all this? God said, everyone in life has something that's run them over and some need help getting up. I left you here to help them get up. See, some of you, have had something in the last two years that's just flat run over you. You're not sure if you can get up. But all of you have someone else who's been like hit by a Mack truck. And Jesus is the answer that helps them get up. So that'll just be one of our Sundays. On March 6th, a good friend of mine in ministry, Clayton King, will be here speaking. He's just, read a, he's just written a book called Reborn that talks about people who believe they're supposed to start over. In this COVID year and a half, we have so many people in the world who are saying, after experiencing what I've experienced, I just want to start my life all over. We need to ask people to come and see and be a part of things like that. In April, we'll have Easter. In May, we're talking to some ladies who specialize in speaking to women and mothers um, about what ladies are experiencing in life and how to, how to mother well and parent well. In August, we're going to try to do a parenting seminar. Right before the holidays, we're bringing back Brittany and Daniel Brooker, who both lost their spouses in their 30s and then found each other and remarried to talk to us about grief and how to get through really difficult holiday times with grief. In the fall, we're going to do a Sunday on mental health and the church's response to people who are struggling in the area of mental health. Why? Because we believe Jesus is the answer for all of it. But we have to invite people to, I know you've been struggling with this, come and see if maybe Jesus has an answer for you. It's going to be a come and see year. And your role in the come and see year is really three things. Believe that Jesus really is the answer for what everyone's going through. Invite someone to come and see Jesus and then bring them and then repeat. Believe that whatever someone's going through, Jesus is the answer. Invite them when we tell them that Jesus is the answer and maybe even bring them that day and then repeat that. Believe that Jesus is the answer for everything going on in anyone's life. And when you hear of a, a Sunday that might speak specifically to their issue, you invite them, and then you bring them with you, and then you repeat. And then we're going to have a whole year of helping people who are hurting come to know Jesus. You say, why, Christian, are we going to do that? Because we believe that's the mission of Jesus. I love Charles Spurgeon, this great London preacher in the early 1900s. He said, churches that don't care for outsiders quickly suffer from disunity and strife. What unites a church completely is the calling out of all of its forces for accomplishing the Redeemer's grand objective. The passion for saving souls not only employs, but it also draws forth the strength of the church. 
It awakens the church's energies and arouses its noblest abilities. Soul winning keeps the heart lively and preserves our warm youth in Christ. So we are asking our people to open your eyes to the community around us and let's get on mission. Let's get on mission. Let's get on mission together. That's been the theme of this month, this all-in theme. Inside your bulletin, you've got this little card that says, All In With Jesus Mission. We're asking everyone who's a part of our church who's not currently engaged in serving monthly in some area to get in this month because it's going to take all of us all in to do what Jesus wants us to do. If you didn't get a bulletin today, you can text that 47 number, two words, journey all in, and they'll send this card to your phone. We've already had nearly a hundred over the past two weeks that have said, all right, I'm not all in yet, but I'm willing to be for our community. I'm willing to be. I'm going to ask you to take this card and think about one or two areas that you might be willing to serve in and drop it in the boxes as you leave or pray about it or ask someone where the most help is needed. But we're going to ask everyone to get all in. Somebody say all of us. All in. That's what we're asking. And then I'm asking you to open your eyes and look around. There's a kind of, in the world of scholarship, a debated phrase that Jesus uses. He told his disciples, they say there's four months to the harvest. I tell you, look up now, it's right here. They said that must have been like some phrase of we thought something was going to take longer, but it's here now. Must have been like just some cultural phrase that people said, but they can't find it anywhere else in Greek or Jewish literature. So many scholars believe he literally was talking about a calendar date. That he was literally saying it's four months until the spring harvest, April, but ministry is going to be done in December and January. Get ready. It's four months till the heart. Like it's four months to April. But like ministry's here today. That would date this story in December or January. And if that's what was going on, here we have yet another parallel of Jesus saying, one day at the end, there will be a gathering. But right now in December and January, it's time for a gathering. There are people who have been drawn to me. There are people who have been called by me. There are people who need me. And this December, January, four months before April, is the time to reach out and help them and do something about them. We got some pretty cool events in December and January to bring people to our first Christmas, obviously. More people who don't go to church are willing to come to church at Christmas if someone will invite them than any other year, partially just because they want to get dressed up and take a picture at church because all their friends do on social media and they feel left out. I say, use it, don't lose it. Like if that's their motivation, I'll walk you to the photo booth myself because I want to tell you about Jesus. So on Wednesday, December 22, Thursday, December 23rd, it's 7 p.m. Christmas Eve, 2, 4, and 6 p.m. We'll be having church. We'll be celebrating Jesus. We'll be taking communion together as a church family. But four months before April, we find ourselves at the end of December. Maybe the gathering's now. Maybe we can invite people. Who are you going to bring? Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to make sure sees Jesus? I don't know who needs Jesus. Everyone you know needs Jesus. So think about inviting people. And then we're going to roll into January. We've got another big one. The grand opening of our church will be Sunday, January 9th. Our new service times when we move over, 8.45 and 10.30 a.m. We'll only need two to get all of us in a room together. Who are you going to bring? I'm telling you, if you have friends who live in the south side of the city, they've already, they're already wondering when's that church going to open and what's it look like inside. Those of you who take walks by the model homes they're building in your neighborhood, you know you want to go inside. And some of you do. It's like, you're not going to move there, but you want to see it. Like we're building a building that a lot of people is like, they're not planning to move here, but they want to see it. 
Let's use that. Let's use that. They're telling us that they're ready and they're telling us that they need us. So why not use that? You say, Christian, is this just so we can have a bigger church one day? No. But it is so we can have a bigger impact on those who need our church. See, the need is not for a bigger church. The need is for hurting people to find Jesus. Those who are stressed, those who are anxious, those who are burned out, those who are lonely, those who are depressed. Until all of those have met Jesus, we need to keep inviting. We need to keep bringing. Amen? As long as we got one stressed, anxious, burned out, lonely, depressed friend who doesn't know Jesus, we need to keep telling him. We need to keep telling her. Jesus, I know a guy. You need to come and see him. He could be the answer for you. Three miles from my house to my high school. Almost all of it filled with thousands of acres of corn. Planting, harvesting, that's the job of the worker. Growing, blessing, moving supernaturally, that's the job of God. For the last three years, this church has been planting. In a couple months, it'll be time to harvest. That whole time, God's been working. And Jesus is like, get ready. Get ready. Get ready and do, I'm going to draw them. I'm going to save them. But I'm going to have you invite them. I'm going to have you bring them. I'm going to have you love them when they get to know me. That is the work of the church. And if we do it well, I believe God will use us incredibly. Would you pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed in this room and in our venue. But hearts are open. Christians, just one question today. Who do you see that God is drawing? Jesus said, just like open your eyes to those around you. Who do you see that God is drawing? The harvest is here and it's now. Go to work. If you can picture that family, if you can picture that friend, if you can picture that family member, if you can see the person that Jesus is their answer, would you pray for them right now? Just ask that God would get their heart ready. And then do the work in December and January to invite them, to bring them. God, we give you all of these names. Thank you for seeing them and knowing them and loving them. We pray you draw them and save them. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. Maybe you are one of them. Maybe you're here today because somebody saw you were stressed or anxious or burned out or lonely or depressed and they knew Jesus was the answer. So they invited you to church so that you might hear about a man named Jesus who is the savior of the world and the savior of your life. If that's you, what you need to hear today is Jesus loved you. He lived for you. He died on the cross so your sin could be forgiven, so you could be close to him and right with God. And if you've never responded to the drawing of Jesus in your life to say, Jesus, I will follow you. You can do that today by prayer. You don't have to pray out loud, but from your heart to heaven, if you're here, you're in our venue and you need Jesus today, would you just from your heart to heaven pray something like this? Just say, Jesus, I need you. You could just repeat it after me. You don't have to repeat it out loud. Just pray, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurts. Lead me into my future. Today, I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation. And I commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, 
going to give you an opportunity to let us know so that we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you, give you some resources as you begin your walk with Jesus. But God, for the Christians in the room, thank you for drawing us. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for calling us to be workers in the harvest of here and now. We love you and we need your help. We're all in. Be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey.